When it comes to government hearings, the only type of witness I enjoy being is a hostile one. That's why I intend to answer every one of their questions with a question. Were you aware that all of the entertainment and food was provided by rec center teachers? Would I have stayed if I knew that? I don't know. Would you have? Would you have? No, I wouldn't have. Did you hear Leslie make any promises? What constitutes a promise? A quid pro quo. Oh, do you know Latin? Okay. Thank you, Ron. Are we done? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. And I am Jake. <laughs> There's a hesitancy there. Yeah, I'm questioning my, my identity. <laughs> After I, 53 I, episodes, you're still wondering? Am I really Jake? JRJ! Or am I Jacob? Iron Eyes Jake. JRJ. J-Train, dude. So I haven't... Um, you ever get get into a class like so? My real my real birth name is Jacob. Yeah. And you ever um well I guess you probably wouldn't run into this unless <laughs> someone called you Jeff. Your real name is your Jeffrey. Re- Jeffrey. Okay. Yeah. Has anybody like have you ever gotten into a class where you just haven't corrected new people and they've just been calling you Jeffrey? Like, no. Everybody in my class knows me as, and calls me Jacob, yeah. which is really weird for me because oh I've gone, in I've your go- current classes yeah so I've gone I've gone by Jake yeah my entire life everybody mm-hmm. knows me as Jake. And then in real classrooms, I've always like correct me you know, when the professor calls your name for the first day. You're mm-hmm. always like, "Oh, I'm you know I'm Jake." Yeah, I, and I go by Jake or whatever. Mm. This one, like, I didn't correct anybody because I was like on the first day, I was like super nervous. <laughs> so I everybody's been calling me Jacob, and it's really it's really Jacob. strange. But I feel like it's too late now because we're like twelve weeks into the semester to be like, "Oh, by the guy, by the way, guys, I actually go." By you Jake. should just try it as an experiment. Just be like, "Hey, call me Jake." <laughs> <laughs> it would be weird to be like I w- I'm 28 years old and, and now going for a name change. Well, okay. So one thing I've been doing is like professionally, I'll use Jeffrey. Okay. So like, but then I get annoyed when people don't call me Jeff. <laughs> so like, if I like sign a letter or mm-hmm. sign like an uh, like all of my um, uh, for applications and stuff, I sign Jeffrey Lopez. But if someone were to call me Jeffrey, I'd be like, ooh, call me Jeff, creep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I'm I'm contemplating whether to be the weirdo and be like, "Oh, guys, my name's actually Jake," or um, just <laughs> rolling with the with the Jacob. I could just create a whole new identity, a whole new a whole new Jacob. Yeah, yeah, just a whole like when I when I move, I can just be Jacob instead of Jake. Mmm. Leave that old Jake life behind. Uh huh. That scoundrel that you've been. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It'd be funny if you just were like, "Nope, it's Jake." Um, no, but be a dick about it. Be like, excuse me, can you please just call me Jake? <laughs> I go by J-A-K. J-A-K. Yeah. Yucky. Oh, well. Well, I mean, it's not as anywhere near as bad as how many times your name has been butchered. <laughs> Every time, dude. George. <laughs> Geoff. What, um, Yoff. No, what did he call me? <laughs> Dr. Wong. Yeah. Uh, he always would call you Geoff. Geoff, but he would call me like Geoff or something. <laughs> it was like, and I'd be like, every time. It's Jeff every time I would correct him mm-hmm. and he'd still get it wrong. Yeah. I think finally the last semester of 
our senior year, maybe the last two weeks, he finally started calling me Jeff. But that's because I had him and it was like an intimate class. Mm -hmm. Oh, in 469? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the final point where he was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll call him by his real name. I don't think he ever knew my name. He just knew me as the guy that sat between you and Matt. Yeah. Because he loved Matt. He did love Matt. Speaking of Matt and Wong, I think we're going to talk China a little today. Yeah, it feels weird not having him here. I know. That, I was thinking it's like we it's totally should right have. up his uh, right up his alley, but he is an adult. I'll, and he has real life. I'll send job him. Hours. I'll send. I'll send him the episode, and he can he can listen to it. Yeah, and critique us. Yeah. Um. Other than that, what's going on? Well, um, not a whole lot, but I almost had. So I have I have prided myself. Uh-oh. I have never shit my pants in my life. Okay. (laughs) And it was the closest I ever came on Sunday. What? Yeah. Like scared of fear or like we're talking poo-poo. Literally had to pull over and run into some bushes. Oh, what? Why are you telling me this? I can't believe you're saying this. Oh, my God. Is this say what you mean or knuckle draggers? (laughs) I don't know. I felt like I had to tell this story because it was such a weird experience. Dude, it's the worst. I've never experienced anything like that. Wow. So I was playing flag football, and I just like halfway through it, we were playing a double header, and we only, we had no subs in the, like a ninety degree weather, and I was just oh, were you dehydrated? I must, I don't know, man. But all of a sudden, it hit me. And, and you're I quarterback, to, dude. No, I was. Oh, thank no. God. Can you imagine? Well, no, I, I you just dropped the I, ball. I, run. No, I, <laughs> I made it to the end of the game, but man, I had nothing. Like oh. I, I was like, I was like hunched over like most of like the the second half of the game. Anyway, so after the after after the game, I just pick up my stuff and I just bolt from my truck. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, I think I can make it home. But this is all the way in Lloyd Center, and like I live in Salmon oh, Creek in Vancouver. No way. Dude, I got I got around the corner from the field before I had to pull over and r- <laughs> run into some bushes above I-84. Yeah, yeah. And that was oh my gosh, I. It was some oh dude, I feel for you so hard, dude. <laughs> There, oh, it's the worst, dude. That panic and that, like, there have been times, like, I've done that, Jake. I'm going to say straight <laughs> up, I've done that. But there have been times, like, but I'm, I can't help but think about, like, being playing sports. Like, I'll go to open gym, and I'll be like, I need a sub. And they're like, what? And I'll be like, sub. And I'll just run to the bathroom. And then I'll come back, and I'll be like, Okay, and they're like, "You good? You want back in?" I'd be like, "Yeah," and then I play like one possession. I'm like, "Sub again!" <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then you make it through the whole game. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, I, 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 it was, uh, it was quite the, quite the experience. It's uh, quite the humbling experience. Yes, dude, yeah, dude. <laughs> my friend, my friend Matt, um, my other, my yeah. other friend Matt, um, texted me one day at school, and he's like, "I just had the most humbling experience of my life." He was wearing brown like khakis and shit his pants dude at school and dude. he had to like run to his car from from the multimedia classroom building i guarantee you it happens to so many people and nobody ever talks about it <laughs> there's a, a family member i have who's got real bad like ibs and he would fucking always just shit himself like on he could not do his job because he's constantly having to shit really yeah it's like that's that would be an awful dude and he's like he's like i fucking i'm so embarrassed i hate talking about it i'm like dude i shit myself dude don't worry i mean i don't really shit myself but i'm constantly in a panic (laughs) and when i go somewhere i'm like all right i'm like i'm like like navy seals cia fbi they're trained to like scout rooms and like situations for like bad guys i'm just scouting for a bathroom or an exit (laughs) 
I mean, I've been better since I've been changing my diet a little bit. But God, dude. Yeah, I need. I think most of what happened with me is I've been on a really poor eating uh, eating habits the last couple weeks. Dude, it'll do it. Yeah, I need to get back to eating some <sighs> semi healthy. Brutal, brutal, but humbling. I like that you say mm-hmm. that. When you're like caveman pooping in a bush, <laughs> you're like, who am I? You are super vulnerable at that point. Something could jump out of the bush and attack you. Yep. Anytime you, can do. you Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, I'm in Lloyd Center, North Portland. Who knows what are Dude, those I bushes. was thinking that. You're, you got balls, man. Uh, no way. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. But it's like, oh, what? You're going to graduate school? Ping. Now you're shitting in a bush. <laughs> <laughs> Life has a way of knocking you down. Oh, yeah, for sure. Damn, I can't believe you told me that. That's yeah. awesome. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Proud of, <laughs> proud of me. All right. So what's, uh, so what's new with you? Dude, I'm sick in July. Is this still July? It is still July. This month doesn't feel like it's gone on forever. It does, but I woke up sick and I'm kind of pissed about it. Yeah, you're sick in July. I got a got a. I was looking through like old memories on Facebook, mm-hmm. and it was like me complaining about being sick like six years ago in the summer, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I haven't been sick in so long. That would be that would suck ass to get sick again in summer." The next day, I woke up sick. Yeah, it's pissed me off. It's been kind of going around. Do I, I sound couple, weird. Couple I people. probably sound weird. Yeah, your voice is a little sexy. <laughs> little, little sexy. It's different, different tone. I can definitely tell there's something, right? Some throat, um, some, some throat issue. But I, you said maybe you've been going too hard. Well, I did just come back from the man trip, which I'm sure you went pretty hard at. Went pretty hard. I think I only slept like six hours a night. Oh Jesus! Maybe less some of the time. But were you in a tent? No, I sleep in my car, dude. I oh, do with a mattress in the back. Oh, okay. You, like a that, legit that, mattress. You told me about that setup. Ooh. Cozy, 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 cozy. Yeah, that's got to be way better than sitting on a, in a tent on the ground. But you know what I got to use for the first time that was amazing? What's that? Is like the camping hammock. Comes camping. in a little bag. Oh, okay. Put it up. Mm-hmm. So out at, we went out to Billy Chinook, uh, Co-Palisade State Park, and there were so many trees in our campsite. And so my buddy also brought his hammock. So we just strung up a bunch of hammocks and we're just hanging out, chilling in them. That's awesome. I could sleep in a hammock, I think. I didn't, but I think I could do it. So how was your co-host's first ever man trip? Oh, Dimitri. Yeah. He was real quiet. He was real uh, hesitant to, to, to drink any, at, in any version of excess. I think he was just like, I don't know these people. I'm not getting drunk around these people. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he got along with everyone. It was great. Um, I got him a big pink um penis shaped water bottle that he had to drink everything out of for the weekend what did he say for the whole weekend uh he left a night early oh, okay um and then he but he did stay overnight on oh yeah two okay. nights he had a shot glass with a little penis in it that lit up that he had to use um God, here, it was just a bachelorette party here's the bottle he had oh, to drink God. no he's the new guy and then there's a little shot glass with a little peepee in it <laughs> jesus <laughs> what are you spencer's where do you find this yeah stuff? dude okay. that's exactly where I bought it for a, I bought those that stuff like that for a new guy a few years ago on Amazon, but I didn't have enough time, so I was like, "Oh, look at Spencer's," and it was on there. But I'm sitting at work googling like penis bottle <laughs> <laughs> on your work computer. Oh yeah, of All course. Right, fair enough. Um, so yeah, Dimitri came out. That was fun. Yeah. Um, I recorded some 
late night drunk podcasting. Oh, yeah? Oh, God. I was like, let's do Knuckle Draggers right now, because Dimitri was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you guys haven't, you guys haven't, been haven't done it in a while, yeah. Um, so I cl- there. I had my lapel mics. Dude, those things sound so good. Really? Oh, it's insane. So I clipped one on my shirt, and I clipped one on Andrew's shirt, my friend Andrew. And I was like, we're going to do Knuckle Draggers. I'll start with you, Andrew. And I was like, all right, you ready? And he's like, yeah, ready. And I go, I instantly just go. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. Wait, crap. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was funny. Oh, yeah. I, that sounds hilarious. And then I asked really inappropriate questions to all my friends and I was obnoxious and annoying. And after that first night of drinking and being annoying, I was like, I'm not really going to drink too much the rest of the weekend. So I didn't. But my friends were hilarious and it was a great time. Oh, here's a little story for you. So we rented a boat. Okay, I saw the picture. That was like a party barge kind of thing, right? We'll check it out. So, what was it? Friday? So, Saturday. Saturday, we got the boat. And it was a ski boat. We rented a ski boat. And so, I found this place. It's this corner store up at the top of the lake. And we go up there, and they're like, all right, here's the boat. Um, It's our V8. It's our fastest boat. You guys are going to have a great time. Enjoy. We're like, sick. So we tow the boat down to the lake and we're out there and there's only there's only eight people spaces for eight people on the boat and there's ten of us. So two people are gonna chill on the shore and we'll just trade out. But there was plenty of us willing to just chill. So um we get out there and the like Jesse is like punching the throttle and it's not the boat's not even planing at all. Hmm. It's like struggling to even, and then we're like, what the fuck? So then he pulls it back, he like resets the choke, and then tries again, and it starts going like fast, and he's like, whoa, whoa, and then it dies. And we're like, really, dude? This piece of shit rental? We were so mad. So I'm like, dude, let's just take it back to the shore, and Jesse's like, I'm going to call them. So he calls them, which I appreciate, because I plan everything for Mm -hmm. these trips, but Jesse was like, I got this. Like, he took care of everything at this point, which was cool. So he's like, dude, I'm st- I'm dr- I'm full throttle. It won't plane. It has no power. You guys said this was your V8, your most powerful boat, and it sucks ass. And they're like, okay, we'll just park it at the docks, and we'll send a mechanic down. So we park it at the docks, and then everybody goes up, and we find this little picnic area where we're going to hang out. We put up a, a quick shade, and mm-hmm. we're playing spike ball and eating sandwiches for lunch and just hanging out lounging in the sun. And at, during this time, the mechanic is going to go look at the boat, and he does. And then he calls Jesse, and he's like, hey, where are you? And he's like, oh, we're over here on the hill. So he comes around, and he's like, hey, that boat, that boat's done, dude. And Jesse's like, what do you mean? And he goes, I just dumped five quarts of oil in it, and it didn't even register on the stick. Damn. Yeah. And he goes, and I'm pretty sure there's like a rod rocking. Like, the engine's about to just explode. Jesus. And Jesse's like, what the hell? And he goes, it's not on you guys. Like, this is nothing you guys did. This is on them for not maintaining what they have. Mm-hmm. He goes, I'm not the mechanic. I'm, I am the mechanic, but I'm like a hired out mechanic. It's on them to, this is their boat, and they're not maintaining it. And he's like, but I'll tell them. And Jesse's like, God, you better tell them. We're not paying for that shit. So then we, he calls the shop, and they're like super apologetic, and they're like, you're going to get a full refund. And I was like, fucking right, we are. So then we're like, well, do you have another boat for tomorrow at least? Because we just wasted the whole day. I mean, we all hung out, and we played spike ball, which was super fun. But 
we didn't get to play on the water. Mm. I mean, we swam a little bit in the water, but um, he was like, uh, no, everything's booked out. So then Jesse started calling around again, so stoked and thankfully got right on it. Found a place that had one of those party barge boats, like a pontoon mm-hmm. boat, and he got that for the next day. And I mean, it was we didn't get to tow anybody or like tube or anything because it wasn't fast enough. But we sent, spent a day out on the water, like jumping off and swimming, and cool. It was fun. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It worked out. Um, my friend Cody, I posted a video on my Instagram. Maybe I'll post it on say what you mean so people know, but. There was a seagull just chilling in the water, and I was like, Cody, I'll give you 200 bucks if you catch that bird. And another friend was like, I'll give you another 200 bucks if you catch that bird. And another friend's like, I'll I'll add 200 so $600 if you go catch that bird. And this bird was far, and he's swimming out, and he's like, I'm going to attack it from underneath. So he's swimming towards the bird, swimming towards the bird, and then you see him go underwater, and the bird flies off. (laughs) (laughs) It was so fun. We did a lot of stupid shit. Uh, we're sitting outside. Oh, Alan, one of my best friends, he's kind of disgusting. Uh, at my bachelor party, he was like, basically for the uh, for the lulls and for the bachelor party, we were in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He took a bite out of the gum wall. Out of the what wall? The gum wall. Oh, God. <laughs> That's disgusting. Twice. Wow. And some cops walked by when he did it, and they were like, oh, Jesus Christ. They were like disgusted yeah i would be too (laughs) we're sitting in the parking lot of the state park and he goes hey how much if i pick up this floss pick and floss my teeth with it Um, i said two bucks and my friend jeff goes i'll double that and he goes four bucks all right he picked it up and flossed his tooth with it (laughs) man oh he's an animal oh i guess yeah jesus yep so it was fun. It was a good time. It was beautiful out there. I love it out there. Um, they're talking houseboat next year. So wow. I guess they want. I, I got to figure that out. But you know what's crazy is they're way cheaper in Shasta, which is in Northern California, mm-hmm. than they are in at this Billy Chinook Lake. I think it's because just there's more. Yeah. You know. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. We're gonna have to adult a little bit and pay a little more. But I think ten years of doing this, <laughs> we can get something nice. Yeah. For sure. So it was a great time. It was a fun time. Um, it was chaos, but it was also chill and relaxing and it was beautiful and hot. And we all got cooked a little bit and can't wait to do it again next year. Well, fun. Yeah. So you want to get into your channel? Or you said you want to get some populism stuff? Uh, you well, kind of. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll get into what, I, what I'm getting into. I guess it's a. Yeah. Okay. So. Driving out to the Mantrip to meet up with everybody. I'm in Southeast Portland. Actually, I'm on Airport Way. Okay. And there's this big truck. It's a nice truck. It's all, it's got, it's decaled in like gold. Okay. And across the bumper, it says Trump 2020. Okay. And I'm like, look at that, dude. Take a picture of that. I'm like, so I want to see what this driver looks like, right? And he's a young guy. He's a young guy, which I didn't expect, but he's a young guy with this like decked out decal truck in Trump imagery. And I was like, that's fucking crazy, dude, that that guy did that. Oh, well, I just kind of forgot it. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I'm driving in Salmon Creek, and I'm about to go straight, 
through the light, and there's cars turning left in front of me. And in front of me, there's this truck towing this boat. And all across the side of this boat is this decal that looks like the Trump like poster and mm-hmm. flag. And it says, Trump 2020, enough bullshit. Now, this is the second thing I've seen that's mm-hmm. a giant vehicle that is decaled in, in Trump imagery. So I instantly just start trying to like put myself in the mentality of who the fuck does that like it's you know we get this way about sports you know what i mean yeah. we'll, wear, we'll wear like trailblazers gear or on my car i have a wsu sticker decal and a wsu like license plate frame yeah but it's we it's bizarre that these people that any people are decaling their vehicles for the president of the united states Regardless of who it is, if it was FDR <laughs> decking your car out in FDR gear. Yeah, it's one thing to have like a small bumper sticker that right. says like, you know, Trump 2020 or feel the burn. But yeah. to have literally your entire vehicle dedicated. Which, these are I see these trucks going the, these and they're usually trucks mm-hmm. being driven around um, to spend that much money on a on a vehicle like mm-hmm. that. And then the plaster, I don't I mean, whatever politician, but just, just plaster the side of that, of right this $60,000, $70,000 truck with a politician's name on it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's odd to me. Listen, this is my passion, but I'm not decaling say what you mean all over my fucking elements. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. It's weird. I used to be stick. I used to be sticker guy though. I, I don't know oh. if you ever saw Cletus, my, my blue, my my blue uh toyota yes i did i remember i used to have all sorts of stickers and stuff on my was it on your window of your on my canopy canopy yeah okay i i stopped but Uh i hadn't added anything new for years okay i met you but man when i was in like high school and stuff man that thing had so many different stickers on it i had a rick santorum bumper sticker (laughs) nothing huge right but i remember like i had a forerunner my very first car I ever like I ever drove was my parents' Forerunner, and mm-hmm. they kind of like gave it to me. I had it for like three months before the um, uh, the head gasket blew on it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like on the on the on the bug shield on the hood, mm-hmm. I had a sticker that said "Hooked on Quack." It was for yeah, duck, but... duck hunting. Like I I was I was sticker guy. Like right, I had, right. I didn't have a big sticker of anything, right. but I had a lot of little. Stickers. Yeah, but that's different. You're you're talking about a lot of different things. You're but talking they, about duck hunting. You're talking about politics. You're talking about most of it was duck hunting oriented. That's though. what I'm saying. I remember you had a lot of hunting stickers on the, your yeah. canopy. That's what they were directed at. I was like, oh, this Jacob guy is a serial killer. Um, <laughs> JRJ. Um, but dude, I just so then I started thinking about just this cult of personality and this this. These people are going out of their way to represent a person. I think it's more than that, though. Like, because what he what does he represent? Right? He's a, he he represents a middle finger to the people they don't agree with. Right. The people they think is encroaching upon not only their way of life but their country. Right. right? They hate us so. Just they think that just by someone seeing 
a Trump sticker, like it's gonna just yeah. blow their minds, and people are gonna be so offended. And they, they, they there's like that troll mentality, right? Right, I think, right. I think it's like a, it's, it's trolling leaving the Facebook Facebook space and actually getting like tangible. It's like tangible trolling. Right it's, right. it's out in the real world. And I think people get off in their minds thinking, oh, I'm driving around Portland or I'm driving around liberal Vancouver mm-hmm. and I've got this Trump sticker on it. I just have to be offending like 50 people every time I drive down the road. Like, right. I think there's a lot to that. Right. Maybe. Well, I then know. I then I start thinking, like, is it like because I know that, you know, in Portland, there were people who had their windows bashed for having Trump stickers at one point. So is it also a statement of like. Touch my shit, I dare you. It could be. You I, I think. I think. I don't think there's particularly one reason. I don't think so either. Puts those stickers on there. Um, I just. Can you imagine rolling around in a Hillary Clinton car? No. <laughs> there's not a single politician. Never. I mean, I have a Truman bobblehead, but yeah, that's because your buddy gave it to you, and he's cool. <laughs> so I'm reading this article. It's a 26-page article. So I I started reading it last night. Okay. It's. 26 pages yeah it's like collegiate level dude i felt like a nerd like highlighting and taking notes Mm, i see the i can see the highlights yeah it's called putting trump in comparative perspective populism and the politicization of sociocultural low okay this is definitely a scholarly journal where'd you find this one in the the library okay yeah um so i started thinking about populism in latin america and mm-hmm. authoritarianism in latin america yeah, that's a good parallel huh that's a good parallel yeah. and uh, i'm seeing and i saw and i've learned a lot about just this anti-elitist attitude and i'm not saying that i'm an elite or or anything but going with that anti-elitist attitude you have the agrarians also going against anybody who's educated agrarians as in people who live in like rural areas yeah okay. and who are who are working on farms okay so you have this um <clears throat> anti-elitist i guess I'll, I'll just use that term um there is but that i don't think that's a wrong term to use there's right. a lot of sentiment on that but that is the focal point in latin american history with dictators and populists mm-hmm. is cr- creating this in group out group cr- creating the other yeah Focusing, and, and so far on this article, that's what they're saying. They're not talking about Trump. They're talking about just populism in general. But mm-hmm. just how these figureheads would focus on splitting the masses mm-hmm. and using that. So like Augusta Pinochet and... Yes, 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 yes. Um, Perón in uh, Argentina is who I was thinking of, yeah. but he was kind of leftist. Um, so, But you no, know, he's a different case because he was kind of both. Um, but Pinochet or Peron? Peron. Okay. Um, so there's a really good point right here. Um, in a, in a more fundamental and less understood sense, however, populism is also disrupted because its antagonistic simplification of the political space most often does not map onto the conventional alignments of axis of political competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, they're willing to do things that, others won't because right. of confining norms. Right. Yeah. But also the way I read that also was like it's divisive but simplifying like in this this grand world of politics mm-hmm. that encapsulates political 
um, or international politics and everything that economics, everything that yeah. comes with politics just gets simplified down to us or them in this construction of populism and this campaign to get people to vote for you. Yeah, I. That's a pretty succinct way of putting it, and I think it. it, it I think it definitely hits the nail on the head. Um, that if you're everything, I, yeah. So if you create that in group out group, everybody is saying every everything I say is 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 the right way to view right a topic. Right, you know, it could be economics. Right. Like if I if I say, yeah, I. There's, let yeah, me keep keep going. Yeah, keep let going. me read you this okay. next part. This is amazing, this part right here, and I thought of you when I read this. I'm sorry that I'm reading a lot of this, but I just think that there's so many good points here mm-hmm. that reflect things that you and I have talked about. Yeah. I'm not saying Trump's a populist. Oh, I don't I, I'll, I'll call him a populist. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but I'm just saying, like, there as people who study history, like, you look you're supposed to learn from your fucking past. Yeah. And there's so many examples. And I don't want to be an extremist and just say, like, we're going down a uh, authoritarian regime that's going to suppress all of us. But it could fucking happen if you look at where we've been in the world historically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because we're America doesn't mean that we're untouchable. No. we. The reason why we're America and why it's harder for authoritarianism to take hold is because we have an established democracy. We have established democratic norms. Right. The only, but that's the only thing keeping us out of authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is his was rampant in in sense South and Central America because they were not particularly old democracies. Exactly, or they, they didn't exactly. have established institutions, so populism was able to take over more quickly. But um, this has been. It's not like Trump is an aberration of a populist movement that has been happening for mm-hmm, a long period mm-hmm. of time, and it's in both parties. So it's not like it's not like it's particularly just only to trump right and that's what the article also says it's not just limited to trump we see it on both sides of this this Mm -hmm. populist movement so it but that hasn't but both sides are equally tearing down those democratic norms and questioning into the legitimacy of our institutions that allow for reasonable debate to happen yes and and allow for cooperation to happen and now it's just yeah it it are if you if you think we're it, it would be You'd be laughing in the face of history if you were to say that the United States is somehow inherently, um, inherently can't fall into the pitfalls of yeah, populism. Yeah, like it's just it. We're not different, right? We're just we just have been lucky to have two hundred yes. years living in a place where we have very little. Um, we're we're fairly isolated mm-hmm. because of our geographic location, mm-hmm. so we've been able to kind of incubate and create these really That's established institutions because there hasn't really been. There hasn't really been threats on our borders, right? right? We've right. been fairly secure because of our geographic location, which has allowed over time the real codification of democratic norms and in, in, in strong mm. institutions that promote good governance and honest governance. Right. And but we're not immune from it at all, especially in a globalized world now, where technology is more per, more salient and it's more perme- permeable into the minds of, of humans, in the minds of Americans. And so now you have access to all of this different misinformation, which just exacerbates this problem mm-hmm. anyway can sorry um no i was gonna say one thing that you say is that the length of our democracy is kind of what has kept us protected from these populists or authoritarians but 
even in, like you said, they were younger democracies in South America. All it took was one thing to cause a collapse or concern or chaos amongst the people Mm -hmm. to crumble that democracy. And it could be something as simple as like um, some of the research I was doing was uh, um, the Great Depression worldwide. Yeah. And that caused an, uh, uh, a way, a path for authoritarian dictators to just slide into power. Be like, oh, the, everything's terrible for you. Let me take care of this. Mm-hmm. That could happen. And like people just don't think it can. I, it's just OK. I don't want to get down that. But yes, you had so many great points. Um, OK, I'm so I don't want to call Trump. Yeah. Like I, OK, so I. <clears throat> I'm trying to be more careful, right? Right. Because there's people who listen, who, yes, who listen, who are Trump supporters, and yeah, that's, and that's yeah. fine. The but when he says stuff like, "I Article Two of the oh, Constitution yeah. allows me to have unlimited powers," yeah, that's dangerous rhetoric. If you're a cons- if you're an American, that should make you pause. Yeah. If you're especially you're a conservative who upholds. The anti-federalists, the Sam Adams of uh, the Sam Adams, the the other anti-federalists, I'm drawing a blank on the other anti-federalists, yeah. it's primarily Samuel Adams mm-hmm. in terms of the anti this anti-federalism push. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have, well, even, you know, Jefferson in a way, mm-hmm. but they were of original. So they, they champion those 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 guys as ideologies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of what should be interpreted as original intent of the constitution as a weak executive. Right. How can you, how can you then go forward supporting a guy who believes that article two gives the executive unlimited mm-hmm. power? That's mm-hmm. just, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, that is a, that, uh, that is an honest question. I'm not trying to make that rhetorical. Right. No, no, I know. But how can you, how can you, how can you continue to support a guy who says something right. like that and clearly sounds like he believes it because he's repeated it multiple right. times anyways not sorry. only is the rhetoric dangerous but if you disagree with or if you agree with trump and you're a trump supporter what precedence does that set for maybe your political opposition who might come into office next so trump's running around saying look i have i'm unlimited i have unlimited power i think of jafar <laughs> <laughs> um but so, okay, yeah, your guy Trump, who's going to do everything for you, that he's going to help you and fix this country and do it right by using that unlimited power, great. But what if your political opposition comes into power next and now says, hey, the last guy had limited power? That also means I have unlimited power. Now you have a guy or a woman who's coming into power who may be doing it for everything you disagree with. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody interpreted it that way, and obviously it's wrong, but I don't know. Every like um, to to use your South American um, mm-hmm, examples. Mm-hmm. That's how uh, Hugo Chavez came yeah. into power in, yeah. in Venezuela. He didn't. He wasn't. He didn't get there on his own. He got there by his predecessors undermining, pushing the envelope, pushing constantly pushing the yeah. envelope, and then trying to harness populist. I don't know if 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 Trump honestly understands the games that he is playing. Right. Right. So. Because I don't think he's a particularly good student of history. <laughs> no, God, so no. I I think that he sees a lot of what he does as a as a political chess move, mm-hmm. and he sees it's working. So he continues to continue. He continues to do it without right. any regard for the ramifications and the implications mm-hmm. of those actions and those words that he's using. That's great. And well said. So 
when you are when you say something like that, you're planting a seed in the minds of the people you're speaking to yes. who hold everything you say as gospel mm-hmm. that yes, the article two allows the president to do anything. Right. Like that's that's one that's dangerous in, yes. in itself. But what does and to go along with your you with your your point mm-hmm. that when someone pushes when someone's pushing that envelope the next person to step in has those powers because that's been set as precedent. Right, when you're right. the chief executive officer of the country, you are pre- a precedent center. Yes. And you've, there, oh, there has been an expansion of the executive role over the last, especially in the post-World War II era. Yeah. The, the, the executive branch has expanded relative to right. the rest of the other branches of government. But that hasn't always been the case. There's mm-hmm. been times when their legislator has, legislature, uh, the legis- legislative branch has been more has been more powerful than the executive and, and whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, it, this is, it's kind of a pendulum swing, but when you have a strong executive and we'll see when we start talking about China here, when you have an executive branch that is constantly grabbing more and more power, it becomes more and more, it becomes harder to divest the interests from the personality in the country. Mm-hmm. Almost they become mm-hmm. inextricably linked. And that is when you have authoritative regimes. Right. Right. You're so smart. I just read. <laughs> That's good. Um, so this part I thought was really interesting. Um, most dramatically, perhaps, Donald Trump's outsider campaign for the U.S. presidency splintered the conventional left-right axis by driving a wedge between the Republican parties, pro-market, free trade, and its grassroots anti-establishment and nativist sociocultural low, which is not necessarily in favor of free trade or free markets. In doing so, Trump demonstrated the folly of believing that there is a single, cohesive, conservative movement in the United States, as opposed to separate, not highly correlated and perhaps unrelated currents of market fundamentalism and sociocultural nativism. Mm. The bundling of these... Oh, no, 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 no. In truth, nothing requires that popular constituencies who chafe at political correctness, multiculturalism, and globalization be beholden to free market and trade principles okay so i thought of you being a republican and now being split and saying this is not the republican party that i've always identified with Mm -hmm. and now this kind of in-group fighting to define what the republican party is and some saying it's this nativist kind of xenophobic group or traditional conservative and market driven people yeah uh i i i think you are i think that hits the nail on yeah. the head very yeah. well um especially you know with the with the modern parallel and i think that is there's always a globalization especially has create globalization especially has created a a tense situation, especially amongst Western democracies, right. which have which liberalized their their markets a lot sooner than the rest of the world, just because of their, the, just because of their relative place in terms of technology and wealth relative to the rest of the rest of the world, mm-hmm. coming out of World War II, because most of the most of the rest of the world was still decolonizing at that point. Right. So, um, anyway, globali- globalization when you have when you open your markets to free trade mm-hmm. what you are and you especially when you you do so in the most common way of lib- trade liberalization is entering into institutions 
like the World Trade Organization or regional or mm-hmm. regional trade organizations that set a rules based um, environment for which trade happens because that that lowers that what that does is that lowers the risk of defection and it lowers and it lowers the transaction costs because when you have a multilateral trade institution I don't have to go and pull what are my trade agreements with Belize and what are my trade trade agreements with El Salvador what right. are my trade agreements with China when all of the if all of those countries were in an institution together it's all of the same rules all the same rules apply to every member yeah. so it's a lot easier the coordination costs the the, the transaction costs mm-hmm. all of that is lessened and then also on the conceptual level it's a lot easier to to get cooperation when you're in an institution with somebody because there's established rules or established norms there's there's a, mm-hmm. somewhat of a governance body above it but what that does is it it takes away some of the the inherent authority of a nation state mm-hmm. and with with a nation state's ability to um make quick macroeconomic changes to mm-hmm. its economy mm-hmm. so if there's a shock in a particular industry so right. say that um a war somewhere in the world has created a the, the inability for the production of a particular product to reach market so what that okay. does is it's created a, a global shock to that particular industry right and that can hurt a domestic economy elsewhere because all of a sudden they were dependent on say colombian coffee beans right. well now Col- colombia is going through say colombia goes through a, a, a civil upheaval right. and all of a sudden Columbia coffee beans can't come in that's created a shock in the united in the united states market mm-hmm. which a country would want to then try to insulate its own markets by using other protectionist policies like tariffs or quotas and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um when you enter into an institution, you lose that ability to make those quick economic oh, adjustments. adjustments. Right, right. So that's one of the biggest critiques on both sides. Like the, the far left and the far light, right hate the World Trade Organization mm-hmm. because they say it hurts domestic labor or right. it hurts domestic business. There's different reasons for critiques on both sides, but they both critique the World Trade, right, Organiza- right. trade, trade Organization. And I think that that... Um, I think that spurs a lot of that anti-market sentimentism, mm-hmm. sen- sen- sentiment, sentiment. Thank you, <laughs> uh, within the Republican Party because it has been taken over by this newer, new type of ideology. This nat- this nationalism is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. This yes, yeah, so we we don't want to be beholden to somebody else's right. economy, even though at even though at the macro level. Over the long run, joining these institutions has proven to be beneficial. M- more beneficial. Right. But there's all of these short-term and all these political realities within the domestic sphere of of a country. And I think when it's easy for for someone like Trump to just come out and say we're losing in trade, and look right. at look at these these indicators here, mm-hmm. and it's politically advantageous. Also, it's hard when you're you're experiencing a particular economic downturn to then turn to vilifying these trade institutions right. and i think that that spurs populist sentiment absolutely yeah um one last thing because i haven't finished this article but one last note that i have on here and we'll talk more about this when i when i finish it and kind of the conclusions but um by politicizing a socio-cultural high low axis and they explain that later but we'll get into that next time populism reshuffles the political deck decoupling forces that were previously aligned and forcing often awkward shotgun marriages between hitherto adversaries. And that's how you get say what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You like that? Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought that was cool. So um, we'll, we'll get to that. But, I mean, this all just stems from this this idea of 
just being a, a super fan of a politician or whatever that politician represents. It's just bizarre to me to multiple times I've seen people just decal and deck out their entire vehicle for a person. Yeah, I think it, an individual. Yeah. I think it's it's what Trump represents more than the person. Himself. I think so too, but I'm just saying like it's it's hard not to think in a team mentality. Yeah, it's Blazers versus Lakers, right? But overall, it's it's. But in this case, it's on on the just a smaller scale. You could say it's 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 Trump versus Bernie, I guess, or whatever. But we're all Team USA here. Mm-hmm. If I saw a car that was all decked out in like America, like flag, eagle, all that, yeah. I'd be like, "Well, that's some dedication." But right on, dude. Yeah, and I think it's the individual yeah. that bothers me. No matter who it was, for sure. And then if a critique of that individual is now interpreted as anti-American, oh yeah, that's a that seems to be becoming oh, more that's interesting more, more prevalent. But at the same time. I wonder if that is in, in, in a way a response because I, I can remember it being in high school and, mm-hmm. and out of high school and in, in being afraid to criti- if you critiqued President Obama, right. you were labeled as a racist. Right. I think we need to get away from there. are It's such a small portion mm-hmm. of both of these parties right. that label a critique of Trump. Right. Um, Anti-American or a critique of a African-American politician, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. President Obama, as racist. Right. Um, but it does seem to get hold, hold, held up in the media quite a bit. As oh, yeah. It's mo- I think it, it gets held up more as a reality than it actually is. Oh, I think so. Yeah. But the use of that rhetoric by the president by the president mm-hmm. is, I, is unprecedented. Right. And it's worrisome. Yeah. And I get like, well, why can't he defend himself from an attack from a congresswoman who says that, like she's going to be his worst nightmare? I'm just saying that's be when you're the chief executive officer. I think you should be held to a higher. I think you should hold yourself to a higher standard. And you should be held to a higher standard. You don't have to anymore. There's always been fighting. Like prior right. to the civil prior to the civil war, and it's probably not a great parallel. Mm-hmm. They would literally have you ever heard of like caning on the Senate floor? Oh yeah, they would beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah. The Senate and the House of Representatives have always been that way. The legislative branch has always been more emotionally driven because you have so many more personalities. But the chief executive officer needs to hold himself above that fray. You are you are the the face of the franchise. You Mm -hmm. are right. You are like you are what's remembered. No one's going to remember Ilhan Omar fifty years from now. Right. Maybe in a in a in a in a textbook in as a as a as a footnote. Right. Right. But. The chief executive officer, we always we have posters of all of our presidents. Right. You are the face of this country. You are to have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And that's using that rhetoric, regardless of whether it's inherently racist or not, we can get that's a different debate. Right. But it's something that the president, no matter who they are, Mm -hmm. should refrain from using. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about (laughs) just arguments of like. Anytime anyone attacks me and says, oh, you're just a socialist, which is the counterpoint to, oh, you support Trump, you're racist. Yeah. Oh, you don't support Trump. What are you, socialist? Yeah. The best thing that you can do on both sides for Trump supporters and for socialists (laughs) is know your shit. 
Because when somebody comes to you and was like, oh, you don't support Trump, so you must be a socialist and blah, 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 blah. You say, no, actually. And then you lay out an entire. You know what I mean? If yeah. you know your shit, nobody can label you like that. Mm-hmm. Even even I like I've said in previous episodes, like I like to my Trump supporter friends. I like to call them racist. They're my friends. That's why I can say that. Racism is not a joke, but what I'm saying is that because they get labeled racist, I like to bust their balls and say, oh, you're just racist because I know they're not. But there was one guy who I was acquaintances with and he's a Trump supporter. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Because you're racist. Right. And he like laid down like not he didn't explain to me why he wasn't racist, but just the fallacy and labeling people racist who support Trump and like why he genuinely did support Trump that has nothing to do with race and it's like it was an actually a really well constructed educated answer and response and it's like it's not I wasn't doing it to be facetious like or or to be harmful like the rest of the people are when calling them that those names but I was just like holy shit this guy actually knows whether he's he's blind to the facts, he knows in his heart why he voted for Trump. And he can articulate it. And he can articulate yeah. it, exactly. And I think as long as you can do so, like, and don't play the name game. Why are we calling each other names? It's so stupid. Yeah. I mean, unless you're being racist, then yeah, fuck off, you're racist. But generalizing is obnoxious. It 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 is. And I think it to bring this back home, I think it... it, it it leads to populism. Yeah, it, it's, for sure. It's the it's the because as you said in in the definition that that article uses. Yeah. That populism is, um, and that, that you kind of that that you used mm-hmm. is that populism is kind of like a dumbing down of of these really deep issues to simplest you know to simplistic overly simplified mm-hmm. terms mm-hmm. that help create. Divisions, yeah. yeah. It's insane. Why are we letting these people divide us? Why are we letting the media divide us? Why are we letting fucking Instagram influencers divide us? These people, you said it, I think, on uh, episode 51 or 52, but, like, go talk to your neighbor. Go talk to people because, and we always say this all the time, but you're not going to disagree. You're going to agree on more than you think if you actually fucking talk to people. It's bizarre that people see the news and they're like, oh, well, I guess that's how shit is. Fuck everyone. Yeah. Why are you letting if you if you don't trust the media or even if you do, don't let other people think for you. It's weird. No, um, I think it, it is a zero sum, though. I do think I can't speak for everybody, but right. I know for me that sometimes it's like when Yeah, it's hard. I don't think people. Some. I don't think some people want to have those conversations because they don't want to have their beliefs challenged. That's true. Because they they know they don't. I think they subconsciously know they don't have the ability to defend them. Right. So it's like I want to believe what I want to believe, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to put myself out there because if I, I don't want to have my challenged, like I don't want to. I want. I don't want to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. But then two, like I don't want my. Um, I don't want my I don't want my beliefs to change because mm-hmm. I like the worldview that I've constructed. And right. If it's challenged, then who am I? Right. I know for me that was a big thing. If I, I'm not Republican, right. In how it's currently defined, who am I? Right. I've, yeah. I've I've wrapped myself so much in that identity that anytime it was challenged, it was like it was a challenge on me personally. Right. Instead of like, you can still be Jake. Right. With a different mindset. Right. Right. That's <laughs> it, too or, wild. Too or, wild. Or, or a more broad mindset. Like right. it doesn't. It. it 
I don't, I may, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me and my personal growth, like that was kind of my experience and for like sure. it was getting over that anxiety mm-hmm. helped a lot in my ability to have conversations with people I didn't agree with right. and be able to articulate a more rounded opinion mm-hmm. on something. And that didn't necessarily change. Like that didn't, like I wasn't like, I changed my beliefs on some things, but it was in a positive, but it was positive. It wasn't like negative. It was all of a sudden like, right. Oh, if I believe differently. Does that mean like I hate America? No, like right, I still right. love this country, mm-hmm. but I think about it differently. Right. I think about it in more of a historical context. Mm-hmm. I can sit, think about it, and it's you know what what is a, what is U.S. power viewed globally? Like right. think about it from the different perspective. So, um, I think that's that is what happens when you have conversations, right. not um, just insulating yourself. One thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is, for, I think for me having a podcast, it's like, oh, I have important shit to say. Like sometimes. I think that, <laughs> but here's the thing with the podcast, people choose to listen to us. Mm-hmm. Right. So not everybody chooses to listen to say what you mean. Not everybody chooses to hear our back and forth or our debates or our, our conversations. Right. So sometimes like when, when people are talking politics or people are talking about something that I, I know about, it's it, this is probably an elitist piece of shit thing of me to do, but it's like, let me jump. Let me interject here a little bit and say something. Right. So this weekend on the trip, there was a the, uh, a friend of a friend was just so happened to be camping at the mm-hmm. same campground. And he came over and he was talking while we were hanging out drinking. And him and one of my really good friends got in a conversation about Trump. The guy that I didn't know was a super like mega Trump supporter and my friend it was interesting watching because I know that that guy my friend doesn't agree with Trump but also is kind of naive to politics but was deferring to this other guy like this guy was like fuck yeah Trump fuck yeah I love him I love what he's doing just saying all the shit about things he thought that Trump has been doing and the other guy was just like oh well okay I mean I don't I don't think he's terrible but i don't think he's great just kind of trying to find this neutral stance right and all my friends like looked at me like you're gonna fucking jump in there and i was like no i'm just gonna listen because sometimes the best thing you can do is fucking listen Mm -hmm. and i didn't say a word i didn't say a word i just listened to them have the conversation and i disagreed with a lot of things that were said but i just didn't say anything yeah i think yeah, I don't, I don't, I'll say this to you off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I just, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I, because, I think because I've trained and wanted to be an educator for so long, mm-hmm. I feel like I should say something because it, clearly they don't understand this or that. Yeah. But it's like, it's not my place to do that. And like, if this person wants to know, educate themselves so that superhero Jeff doesn't have to come in and save everybody. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know that sounds super elitist, but I, I'm just trying to be honest about kind of my flaws and recognizing that, like, this is something that I do and I know that I need to back off. And this was this was almost a little challenging for me to just be like, just don't fucking say anything, dude. Just let them have their conversation and listen to it. And everyone's like, yo, jump in there, Mr. Fucking politic guy, fucking history. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, they, they expected me to say something. Yeah. And that almost kind of made me go, no, fuck that. I'm just going to sit back and mm-hmm. let them say their thing. And I, I've been trying to do that more and more. Like, when I hear people talk politics or, like, you know, Jen's aunt goes camping with us and she's a big Trump supporter. And um, 
I used to bust her balls and we used to get in debates all the time. And they're like, oh, when are you guys going to have your fucking politics debate? And I was like, nah, nah. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. So, I don't know. Just a little we're all, we're, story. We're all still Americans. Right. First and foremost. Someone disagrees with you does not mean that they're anti-American. Someone has a different opinion on the on the role of governance does right. not make you yes. anti-American. It does not make you ungrateful to be here. And that, <laughs> and that for sure does not mean you have to go back to where you came from. Yeah, God, no. So we can just uh, leave it, leave it there. Yeah. But uh, I mean, just uh, I, I, I have a, um, a, a guy in my master's program that I, I probably talk to more than anybody, and mm-hmm. he's, he's currently he's all over the world. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he's he's doing his classes remotely, but he was in Vietnam when I, when the class started. He was in China for a week when China got um, when the Hong Kong situation blew up, mm-hmm. and they China like shut down their internet, so he couldn't make it to class that week because he was like, like he was like stuck behind the Chinese like firewall. And then he got out, and uh, he's in Kazakhstan now. So he's just like, dude, super cool, right? Has a completely different worldview from me. Oh, I bet. A completely different worldview. Um, a very, very, actually, very big Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not at like. It's weird because he he agrees with like all of the macro like he he agrees with the Trump worldview mm-hmm. of how a state should act at the international level like this okay. hard shelled right like isolationist what is best for the nation that should derive like what is solely best for the nation mm-hmm. not considering how it helps anybody else so right. whatever is best for america basically the america first is how you should operate so you should operate and he sends me all sorts of stuff and i watch it i read it and mm-hmm. i and i'm like you know what man like i i send he sent me this video of peter teal um who was like an early investor in facebook the good dude's super rich okay. he spoke at the national uh Cons- national conservative convention as one of their keynote keynote speakers and man like a lot of the stuff that he said was just i'm like man i fund i don't even see how that's conservative like it's not fundamentally conservative right. but it's, this is this is the new conservatism in the united states and i just right. have to accept that i guess but i'm, I'm like man because he was introduced as a libertarian as a conservative libertarian that's mm-hmm. a that's a con- that is a conflation of terms like you, those two are like not diametrically opposed right. but they're almost antithetical to the point where you cannot conjoin them in an effective right. way anyway but i'm just like I'm, i just send him a message i'm like i watched it, it was like a 36 minute video of this guy's speech and i was like Jeez. i philosophically disagree with just about everything he said but it's a great conversation and you know mm-hmm. what that sparked it sparked a fantastic back and forth between right. me and this other guy not assuming that this guy is dumb because he cho- he supports trump right, right. he's not he's not calling into question me as being dumb because i'm a free trader and more right. of an establishment republican but we had this great back and forth and you know what we don't hate each other exactly <laughs> exactly i i thrive i love there are people that i've sent you videos on instagram like that i really want to sit down and talk to who i fundamentally disagree with but i don't want to sit down to fucking tell them how it is i want them to tell me how it is and get in their head and if i could talk to those people who fucking decal their vehicles like i would love to not to bully or be rude or be mean but i just want to know like what is it what is it that 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 like if you have that much fucking passion about something there's got to be reasons and i'm just so interested in why you know yeah but at the same time there is ramifications to act to actions and oh I think for sure and we've definitely yes. underlined yes. the threat of populism yes so yeah as much as i want to know at the same time i'm he- like it it worries me yeah it's a little so. worrisome all right tell me about Shannon. so yeah i 
China, I think this is the greatest, I, I would say this China is the greatest threat um, in the large sense. Mm-hmm. I use the word macro a lot. And what I mean right. by that is just like in the, like the overarching thing, like the big thing. Right, the big right? thing. Uh, China uh, is, I think, the largest threat to American interests, both domestically and abroad. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that's, it's, no, it, it, there's no better uh, case mm-hmm. for that statement than the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm-hmm. And I think we've, we've talked about this a bit on Matt's second episode. I'm not sure exactly which episode that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the Belt and Road Initiative is, is Xi Jinping, who's the current president of, of the uh, of, of Communist Republic of China, is when he when he gained office in 2012 and in 2013 he gave this speech in Kazakhstan talking about how China needs to be this forward-looking empire needs mm-hmm. to restore its its place in the sun like it was during the Ming dynasty like mm-hmm. when when trade was on the silk road and China through its innovation and its techn and its technolo- technological advancements was able to spread all of this good out to the world through trade and mutual cooperation and how that that created civilization growth throughout the Middle East and also in Europe and how China needs to restore itself to that kind of prominence. And then, so he, he said he would, they said they were, so his, the plan that he laid out was called the Belt and Road Initiative. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a weird name because what he means by belt is an overland trade, overland trade investment. And by road, he's talking about a water road. So it's, it's going across, um, the Straits region, which has always been like, you know, the, that's the Philippines, mm-hmm. um, uh, Malaysia. That's always been a the, the sea route that connects East Asia to the rest of the world. And um, whoever has controlled the Straits region historically has dominated trade and regional head and had regional hegemony right. over that over that whole area, which is incredibly strategically important, especially if you're China, who is looking to expand uh, and create a I think they're trying to create I don't think they have global aspirations but i do think they have regional aspirations yeah yeah. and um and they're going to accomplish that by by becoming more by becoming more more of a power and having more of a voice at the global level to protect their regional interests right and i do think they and by doing the belt and road initiative i think that this is a tool in which they are uh, looking to looking to accomplish their goals Mm -hmm. so how they go about doing this is that it's a bilateral. What that means is just China and another country reaching an agreement. That's you know, bilater- bilateral is just two partners making an agreement. Right. Multilateral would be obviously, as it sounds, you have a multilateral institution that has more than three or more countries. Yeah. Usually, it's a lot more than just that. But so China goes bilaterally to nations, developing countries around especially in africa and southeast in southeast asia and says what do you guys need to have done infrastructure wise it's Mm -hmm. all it is is about infrastructure is we're going to invest in infrastructure in your country on a loan basis Mm -hmm. and it's a no strings attached loan we're just going to we will loan you the money chinese but the kicker is is that all the construction has to be done by chinese state-owned construction companies yeah so they bring in these chinese state-owned construction companies and they build infrastructure in areas that need it Specifically, I looked at the the country of the Maldives, which mm-hmm. is strategically located right at a choke point of 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 of, of, of sea route trade. Mm-hmm. And there's um, they built finished construction in 2016, 
the friend the China Maldives friendship bridge, mm-hmm. which connects because the Maldives has like eight, I think like twelve hundred islands and two hundred of them are inhabited. So it's it's like wow. kind of like the Philippines. So it's like right. really really spread out and it's really re- coordination is really really hard for local government because none of because you have to take boat to most of these islands. Right. So it's not really it's hard to to build things in the Maldives because of basically it's basically all these little island all these little islands making up a country. Right. So what they so what China did is they built this massive bridge that connected an international airport which is on one island to the capital city of the Maldives creating which opened up the transportation of all sorts of goods and it really is open up the Maldives as economy. Right. They've also invested in in resorts to try to get tourism back mm-hmm. into the Maldives. They've uh, built electri- electrical grids on some of the far outlying islands mm-hmm. that have never had electricity before. So a lot of presumably good right. has come out of it. However, on the flip on the on the when it has come time to pay, China's practices this is where it gets concerning. Right. Is because China, what's in to use a term that's called debt trap diplomacy. This mm-hmm. is what uh, American scholars are calling it. Yeah, is that China cannot pay back? Well, China is shelling out all of this money to countries that can't pay it back. Right. In the, the, these absorbent costs, just in the case of the Maldives, this is what I use specifically to look at. But they said with with the Maldives, that friendship bridge it, itself cost hundreds of thousands hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. and overall the amount of in- loan and in- the amount of loan investment that went into the maldives was the bill when the bill came due it was like 3.2 billion dollars oh, jesus and the maldives is annual gdp is four billion there's absolutely <laughs> like no way the maldives could ever pay this back and one of the issues is is that china has been in on their bilateral agreements has been very very obs- they've they've purposely obscured and been very non-transparent with the costs mm-hmm. in the in the in the payback plans that have yeah. that, with these countries so these countries are entering into agreements and they don't really know the full terms of the deal right they're they're desperate to get this investment but at the same time it's like they're not getting told like what is on the other side in the case of sri lanka yeah that's the one i read yeah, about. yeah so um they built a deep water port and sri lanka couldn't pay it back mm-hmm. it's like a 1.3 billion dollar port and China was just like, well, if you can't pay it back, we're just going to repossess it on a 99-year lease, and now they're using it as a as a fuel uh, for fuel tankers to as a quick fuel station for their navy. Right. Which, if you're an American sitting there and you're looking at this, and you're inter- you're probably interpreting it as China's China is using these neocolonial practices mm-hmm. to to build these naval bases and expand their power west. Right. You know that that's. To an American, that's concerning mm-hmm. when you talk about what does that mean for global politics. Mm-hmm. So I, I I sent you some articles. Mm-hmm. Did you have do you have any do you have any thoughts on on the Belt and Road Initiative or what's kind of what's no. what's going on? I think you covered it. I mean, it's just the manipulation of just like I think I didn't realize that that they were just like oh we're just going to take it back then and use it as a port for our navy. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think the worry what we're worried about what people are worried about is this is a neo colonialist way of expanding and spreading China's reach. Mm -hmm. And Matt said this early in our episodes that they are the greatest threat to the United States. And we can see movements being made to make them make their reach farther and expand from China. Definitely. Um, They're trying to find a way to funnel 
all these goods and all of these this growth through them Mm -hmm. international growth funneled through china yeah oh i'm gonna help this country i'm gonna mm -hmm. help this country but it's all gonna be funneled through china Mm -hmm. dependent on china yeah we talked about that on that episode with 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 matt if there's a vacant space that the united states leaves by pulling out of international participation or governance or whatever you want to call it yeah somebody's going to come and take that role Mm -hmm. and we're seeing china do that well because china has the capability and they're also willing to they're also have the willingness to do it they want to do it and um i think one of the one of the biggest one of the biggest i just read i just the reason why i'm talking about this i just read a book it's called the third revolution and it's talking about oh yeah um, you sent me the book but i couldn't read it (laughs) yeah I, i i sent you a uh um a an article that kind of under yeah, like yeah. outlined the um the key points of this mm-hmm. book and it it talks about uh how xi jinping has consolidated power in china yep and now his interests are pretty much the interests of china mm-hmm. because he is like he's gone almost mao zedong mm-hmm. in terms of consolidation of power right. whereas there was minimal amounts of diffusion of power under deng xiaoping and now that it's um uh, xi jinping who's the current president he's he he's very much in this rejuvenation of China as a global empire. Yeah. And um, is that benevolent? Is that um, malignant? We, we don't, we don't know. The question is, we don't know, like what are their true intentions? Because they're such a closed off society. Right. And one of the, one of the key things with, with a democracy is that yes, we have the, every, every government tries to conceal its capabilities, mm-hmm. but a democratic regime just inherently because of the process in which it takes to get stuff done, have budgets passed, anything, almost the decision-making process in a democratic, in a democratic regime is more open. It's, it has, right. there's public access to that yes. information that, that transmits that public information that can cross borders and it becomes more, your, your actions become more transparent, which, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which makes entering into cooperations with democracies much more easy, which is why Democrat democracies have never fought each other because they're, well, the one, there's a lot of shared norms and a shared, a lot of beliefs, Mm -hmm. but there's also this, we're not going to miss a lot of wars happen because of the misinterpretation of intentions and the misinterpretations capabilities. Right. And I think with China having such a closed off, um, domestic, uh, domestic governance structure. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. they're so tight knit. They're all of their all of their decision makings are basically Xi Jinping and like two other dudes. Right. And um, they're so they have such tight clamps on their society in terms of their internet. We don't know what their we just we don't know what their intentions are. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, I think that is in itself can be in in the book. I think the best quote was China is an illiberal state looking for power in a liberal world because the united mm. states for so long in the post-world war ii era has been that tentpole right of creating we created all of these international institutions mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. govern international trade international security um international loans because like with what china is doing bilaterally the united states set up a multilateral multilateral institutions with the imf and the world bank group shortly mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. world war ii that created for infrastructure loaning to developing nations mm-hmm. and the world bank group is still the largest lender for those um for those types of uh, investment projects, and so what? What the the issue is is like, will those other if with the with the reentrenchment of the United States into an isolationist stance? What is the fear that I think in order for China to be fully successful, it's going to need to get liberal democracies to align with it? And I don't, and I don't, I think. They're the two governance structures say with Great Britain being a democracy and China being 
a uh, an, an autocracy in an autocratic society they're so diametrically opposed just philosophically as i don't know if you could i don't know if china would if the great britain or france or germany would ever sign on to enter into a global pack like a global multilateral pact mm -hmm. with china without the united states there as like that, right. as that backer as that counterweight to chinese power but then i also got to thinking with what's going on with brexit yeah and when when that when they now with the elect, especially with the election of Boris Johnson as prime minister mm -hmm. by the Conservative Party, who is all in favor of just a hard Brexit, no negotiation, no exit strategy, just boom off. Mm -hmm. That's going to create for such an upheaval in Britain's economy. And the EU has has everything. The EU, the European Union has every incentive to make life as difficult as possible in the UK because. Mm -hmm. If they don't, it, it what that's going to do is undercut their power over the rest of the, the EU right, bloc. Right. Why would why would it EU? Because there are, there are some shitty things about being part of the EU. It's a right. it can be a bureaucratic nightmare, but states still adhere to it because overall they benefit more than more than they give up. Right? Is the EU approaching that like a consequential kind of thing? Like if you leave, like you're saying, they're making it hard mm -hmm. for them in every way possible. But also to show, like, if you are not a part of this yeah. that benefits everybody, mm -hmm. then you, we're not going to help you or we're not going to do anything to make things easier for you. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot to that. And I think so. The U Yeah, I, I think I think that that pretty much sums it up yeah. really well. Um, the UK is going to have to try to because they when in trade talks, especially with within the World Trade Organization, which kind of govern, which is kind of a loose government governance over world trade mm -hmm. uh, as an institution, it's a loose institution, but it's an institution nonetheless. The the EU gov like negotiates as a block. So when you try to, you can't just bilaterally reach a trade agreement with with Germany. You can't. The United States just can't go to Germany and say, "Hey, let's have a bilateral trade agreement." Mm -hmm. As part of the EU, you have to negotiate as a block. Okay, well, gotcha. So the UK, when it when it separates itself from the EU, is going to have to then go to the EU because it's going to still want to trade with other oh, European nations. It's going to have to go right. back to the EU and try to work out a trade deal right. with the EU block, yeah. not just individually with France or individually right. with Germany. It's going to have to happen as the EU negotiating with the uk and what they're doing is they're gonna have to fall back to basic world trade organization right um uh, agreements which is you have to it, it's going to be a lot harder on the uk's economy to to ship things and import things because there's going to be a lot more tariffs than they've ever right. than they've had in recent years coming out of europe what does that do now they can they can look to the united states for a bilateral agreement mm -hmm. but what it, you kind of have a desperate economically desperate your um, United Kingdom mm -hmm. and who's going to be sitting there with a lot of money mm -hmm. and a willingness to exert mm. its influence China is that enough to overcome their ideological differences on government right and all of a sudden now you have a Britain you have an England right because now the United States has vacated mm -hmm. China is the only one sitting there kind of quasi filling this role right does the UK become the first Yikes. of the year of the democracies to fall right to the Chinese influence, right? That's that. That was that's right, just me projecting right. yeah, yeah, going yeah. forward. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's a high. It's a it's a it's a like it's a likelihood. Yeah. And I think that in itself, to mm -hmm. everybody who is saying what well, we should not be part of foreign entanglements, a foreign it's got to be America first. Yeah, it's you can only you can only go like America first. 
America is where it's at because of its 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 role in the in the world. It's mm-hmm. not you can't just isolate yourself and then be like, oh, everything's going to be fine because yeah. all of it eventually is going to wash up on our shores, right? Like it did in World War II. We mm-hmm. could not ignore the Nazi threat any any longer, right? So that's a good point. I'm just that that's just that's kind of my my general one my general note argument. I took down during that is um. You're talking about the transparencies of democracy and how that has led to um, democracies getting along and and no war between them. But because of the isolationism of China, it's just interesting because right now we're speculating. What do these moves mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Experts are speculating. What do these moves mean? Nobody knows what their intent is because there is no transparency. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just think I I wanted to reemphasize and point that out because they could be just doing it for the greater good. But think about the way that humans operate sometimes. Well, and just think about how China handles the political dissent within its borders. Yeah. Yeah. And then try to project that to how it's going to govern internationally. Yeah. Yeah. And how it's going to deal with developing with 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 power with with other countries in an asymmetrical relationship mm-hmm. when there's a massive difference in power right the maldives obviously can it can see like well we're not going to pay back our loans and then china sends out its naval fleet and the Maldives sends out its fishing boats yeah i think so the united states has been it's had its issues right it's, right it's there it's it hasn't been this this shining light on a hill every time it's 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 entered in negotiation right it's, it has there it's a checkered past mm-hmm. but the united states comparatively to china and how it deals with with it, how it deals with political dissent yeah. is yeah. far better than how China deals with it. And you have to ask yourself, do you want a a world system governed by a country that is now interning all Muslim minorities within the country into re-education camps? Yeah. Go go read it. Like, we're not, I'm not going to talk I've about it because we're running out of time. Yeah. But what, what's going on with the Uyghurs? It's pronounced like it starts with a Q, but look up a Uyghur. It's like Q-U-I-G-H-E-R-S, mm-hmm. Uyghurs. Um, it's a Muslim minority in the um, in some of the western, more uh, deserty provinces of, of of China, and the, the, what's going on with 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 China and in, in that minority is is tragic, and it, it's it, it's I think you, when you start to ask yourself how is China going to govern on the on the on the international stage versus how the United States governs on the international stage, right. Look at how they handled political dissent within their borders. Yeah. Wait, U Y G H U R S. Yeah. U Y G H U R S. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some footage from those inside those re education camps. But oh, they're I, just okay. I haven't seen any. Oh, yeah. They did like a whole like it. special. Oh, really? And they're just like, no, 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 we're just, they can leave at their own free will, but they can't. No. No, there's a, there's a particular um, case with a, um, uh, a, a Uyghur who was living in Denmark and came home to try to get his family like a passport, mm-hmm. and then the whole family just disappeared. It's it's a really tragic case Jeez. because it's, because Denmark was Denmark basically booted him out of their embassy mm-hmm. in Beijing, mm-hmm. and it made the it, it it put the family in a vulnerable situation. And the Chinese government scooped him up, and they haven't been heard from since. Wow, so it's uh, it. it it's it's scary stuff, man. Yeah. It really, and especially if you you start reading into who Xi Jinping is as a person, it's uh, it, it it's 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 frightening to think, and it's definitely a challenge that I hope the United States is up to to handling. But I, I mean, there's 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 a lot of different uh, 
what should the United what should the United States' response be? There's a, there's a whole litany of strategies that yeah. could be used, but it just depends on how you interpret what China is doing. It yeah. comes down to interpretation yeah. and how you go forward. That's terrible. And that's how a lot of wars start is yep. misinterpreting. Yep. We, we could just we we could be fully misinterpreting what China is doing, and we end up in a we end up in a war with them, yeah. or we misinterpret, and they end up surplanting us at the world stage, right? right? We, we we think they're benevolent, and they turn out to be you know mm-hmm. malignant, and next thing we know, like they're on our front door. Yeah. Or we've lost the ability to we we've lost the ability to seek our interests in regions around the world that we've become accustomed to being able to do mm-hmm. and all of a sudden global trade is more difficult global finance is more difficult because china has is a, is a is an equal block to the united states and as an advers as an av- in an adversary role and that is the problem with international relations there is we just we just do not we just don't know right we just so yeah all right jake guess what you gotta go do i gotta go work <laughs> Well, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for putting up with my sick ass. Um, and thanks for talking with me. Deep ass conversations at <laughs> this was 9 a.m., com- 10 a.m. This was a good conversation. There always are, dude. I don't care what anyone says. Suck it. All right. Um, yeah. Check us out on Instagram. Um, I'll, maybe I'll post that video of Cody trying to get that seagull. Cool. <laughs> um, and if you enjoy our show. And if you like our conversations and you think that there's someone else who might enjoy it, um, tell them. I had someone recently, um, there was someone recently on Facebook, uh, a family member, like a distant family member through my wife who posted like, I don't really get into politics. I don't really know. Um, but I know that there's, you know, there's so much going on. Is there, does anybody have any podcasts or shows that I could listen to? or watch that might give opposing views. And Jen was like, check out, say what you mean. Cool. So, I don't know, spread the word. Please keep listening. Hope you enjoy it. Remember, we have a phone number. Look on Instagram. It's there. Call us. Say hi. Leave a message. We don't answer, so it's a message. Three-minute limit also. (laughs) Three-minute limit? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. Spread the word. And as always, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.